KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Hey, everybody, it's Flashpoint host Cherry Gregg. I just wanted to say I appreciate all of your support of the Flashpoint show and podcast. Would you do me a favor? Would you subscribe to the podcast and be sure to rate and review? We need your reviews to get us to the top. Have a happy 2021. Now back to the show. Coming up, demand for COVID-19 vaccine is lower than supply, except among those who are most vulnerable. People that live in their home, unable to get out because of a disability, do not have access to the vaccine. A Philly nurse practitioner that's taking angel doses door to door. They've tried everything to get a shot and were unable to get it. Why he's doing it and what he says needs to change. Then video after video showing police shooting men of color. What does watching them do to your brain? Even if we try to get a little bit better or try to heal a little bit, every time we look back at something like that, we are re-traumatizing ourselves. How to better process violent videos and how to talk it all through with your kids. We'll be back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program, Organ Donors Save Lives. Register today at DonorsOne.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus today is vaccine hesitancy. Despite the many advances that have been made in getting shots into arms, COVID-19 continues to spread. But one man is focusing his efforts on helping the homebound. Tarek Khan is a nurse practitioner here in Philadelphia. He's been taking doses of the COVID-19 vaccine door to door. Well, how does he do it and why? Well, we've got him here. Tara Khan, welcome to Flashpoint. Hi, Sherry. It's great to be with you. And so you're actually in the middle of what you do uh, every, pretty much every day is take what you call angel doses to those who need. So tell us what your day looks like. Sure. So um, I'm a nurse practitioner. I work at a federally qualified health center in Northwest, and I'm also a PhD student at Penn. And so my schedule, it used to be two days a week, Monday and Friday, but because of COVID, I started doing vaccinations on Tuesdays and Thursdays, where I'll, I'll be every Tuesday and Thursday doing vaccination. So, but with these angel doses, what's happening is I'm going out pretty much six days a week and taking whatever leftover doses that we have from the clinic to uh, people that are homebound. Um, there's this amazing uh, community organizer named Anna Pern. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we sort of identified this, the, the, the issue, number one, of these leftover doses that ordinarily would go to waste. And also the, 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 the fact that people that live in their home that are unable to get out because of a disability do, do, not, do not have access to the vaccine. So what we've been doing is, is sort of, you know, taking these angel doses that we didn't expect to have and then taking it to people that, were, uh, that couldn't get out of their homes. And, and we're doing it pretty much uh, volunteer uh, at the end of our, end of our work day. So you, you take these doses, how many do you deliver pretty much each day? I would say we average about five to six doses a day. Mm-hmm. So you go to their houses and what is yeah. it like when you get there? It's for me, it's amazing. Uh, it, it, people are, are, they're just, we have some amazing people in Philadelphia and you would never know that other side because how often are we going into people's homes, especially during the pandemic? Um, people, I find that they've, they've tried everything to get a shot. You know, they went online, 
they called the city, they called everyone and were unable to get it because unfortunately right now there is no program where someone can request a, 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 a vaccine uh, for someone that's homebound. The, the city does not have it. Um, it's a major issue because the city has identified that there's about 7,500 individuals that they know of that are homebound. And so uh, I, found, I find that people are just very warm and welcoming um, I, I'm a people person, so I and I love our city. So I, I love driving around, and I love meeting really nice people. Um, and these people are extremely grateful. They're not looking for any special favors. They just want equitable access to this vaccine that they're watching everyone get. That they've been on, you know, that they've been eligible for for months because of their disability, but just couldn't access it. Yeah. And so, are you? And what version of the vaccine are you doing? Oh, so we've been giving Moderna. So you got to um, go twice. Yeah. 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 Actually, so you're right. You said you caught me between. Um, I'm doing booster doses today. And uh, I have uh, two more booster doses to give. And then I heard that we, we may have up to 10 extra doses uh, today. Uh, it hasn't been confirmed yet, but it looks like it's going to be a long night. Yeah. And so you drive around and you jump in the car, you drive around, you go house to house, you do this. Yes. Why do you do it? I do it for, I, first of all, there's no one else that's doing it. I mean, there's, there are some, now there are some groups that, that, that are picking up the slack, but the, the last house I was at, they said, you know, if, if you wouldn't, if you weren't doing it, someone else would be doing it. And I said, I don't know that that's true. I don't know that, um, you know, this population has been identified as, as high risk uh, that needs it. There is no plan right now, as I mentioned, to get these individuals vaccinated on a statewide level or, or on a citywide level. Um, it's sort of uh, a piecemeal approach, an ad hoc approach, depending on what uh, currently exists through someone's provider. Like if their provider, their healthcare network offers it or they have home care services, which most of the time is not the case. And so um, I do it because also because I've had patients that have gotten really sick with COVID-19 that wish that they were able to get this vaccine. Um, and I've had patients that actually, I had a patient actually recently, unfortunately, I have to call them back um, about something else um, that I actually had to admit to the hospital because they got COVID-19 and they had actually declined the shot initially. And they told me that if they had known how bad COVID-19 was, they would have gotten the vaccine. And so I do it for patients like that. Um, I do it for patients that, that have no other way of getting this vaccine, if not me on my free time driving around in my old Subaru Outback uh, to, with the warning light that's on. I'm not sure what that's, what that's about, but I think everything is okay. Um, to, to do it. Um, and, and the last thing I'll say, I do it because I have, I've had patients too that are so-called the long haulers that had COVID a while ago, but they're still having issues of breathing, anxiety, um, chronic pain issues as a result of having COVID-19. And if we can, if I can help to stop, prevent that, uh, uh, I'm going to do everything I can and, and treat this like the war it is yeah. against COVID. And I, I got to say, I, I have a special love for nurses. I had surgery this year and I had someone I love dearly who was in the ICU um, for, for weeks. And I know that the nurses, I mean, they are like the ones that take care of you, the most intimate, embarrassing sometimes things. You all deal with that. Um, what inside of you made you say, you know what, nursing is for me? I mean, 
this is so this is so my jam what nurses do my mom was a nurse and i, I knew that nurses were cool um the fact that nurses spend the mo most time with patients than any other health healthcare worker um we uh, really are when we when we get our nursing degree we swear an oath to look out for the welfare of the individuals that we serve in the community and and to me that oath and, and we've seen it during the COVID-19 nurses consistently go above and beyond is part of being a nurse. It's not everyone can be a nurse. It's, it's a very special uh, career path that it has to be a fit for you. It's and for me, it's a it, it is a, it's a calling. Yeah, it's a calling. And if you're someone that likes to help people, if you're someone, I mean, it is very true that nurses are heroes. Nurses during the pandemic have absolutely risen above and beyond what anyone expected and nurses already do amazing things and so I was actually inspired from the work of nurses during the pandemic who put themselves and their family at risk um, despite not knowing so much besides be before even the vaccines came out they were doing this and so a lot of the effort that I do is dedicated to the nurses out there that that have have been the real heroes of this pandemic that still unfortunately are not getting the support that they need um, to take care of their patients. Um, but yeah, it was, my mom was a nurse. She, she, made, she, she was like, it's a great career. Sure enough, it was a great career. It is a great career. I love it. If, if you're someone that loves to help people and can stand the sight of a little bit of blood, you know, giving needles, uh, but um, also taking care of people and, um, and being, being the hero that, that people need, um, then nursing might be the, the career for you. Yeah, and I got to shout out your mom who also uh, helps with giving vaccine shots and has been out there in these streets. Uh, shout out to your mom. <laughs> yes, props to my mom. Absolutely. Yeah, she actually went through this lengthy credentialing process because she wanted to volunteer at the health center with me. And, you know, the, the background, the whole, like, you know, insurance stuff, it was a long process, but she went through it because she wanted to get back on the front lines with me, we were doing a lot with the Philly MRC Medical Reserve Corps, volunteering, giving shots together. And, and she, she, and, you know, because I've been doing a lot of the homebound stuff, um, she wanted, she wanted to support me. And I think more, more, more importantly, be part of this effort to help our most vulnerable. Yeah. She's and, gotta, and so you've been on the front lines for over a year now. Um, yes. You know, uh, what keeps you going? And and we've heard about the exhaustion that a lot of our frontline healthcare workers like yourself, what keeps yeah. you going? Because you have so much energy to be able Thank to you. do all this. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, I Well, let me first say I am very privileged because um, I am, I'm a PhD student. Like, like a lot of nurses, we're like juggling, you know, I'm, I'm president of the Pennsylvania State Nurses Association. I wear a lot of hats, as, as most nurses do. They're not just doing one thing. They're doing like eight different things. Um, so I definitely get a lot of sleep. Uh, I, I, I eat a lot of vegetables. I drink a lot of water, eat a lot of fruits, uh, avoid processed food. Um, I try to take care of myself so I make sure that I'm, I'm getting that enough rest. I think that's important. Um, I'm good time management, which nurses do. Um, and... Um, yeah, I, I think it's really important just to be very organized with, with your time. But again, I am very privileged, um, the, the fact that um, because I'm not working full time, I'm able to do this. And, and this isn't something that a lot of people can do. It's just me and my cat. I have an adopted cat from, from Paul's named Theodore. He's 19. He's on insulin twice a day, uh, like on eight other medicines. 
And uh, he's the only one I have to take care of. I, I don't have a family that I need to take care of. Um, so I'm very privileged. And I think it's because of that privilege that I'm using that, um, that a lot of my nursing colleagues, they, this would not be possible for them to do. They, there's just no room for it. Added on to the, uh, the stresses of the pandemic that we've been uh, under. So I, I'm very privileged and I have, to, I have to definitely count that as being part of this. Well, Theodore, with all his medical needs, is lucky lucky that his dad is a uh, a nurse. <laughs> no, you're like it's a match made in heaven. Dad for this yes. cat, <laughs> and he's a perfect companion for me. I am so privileged to have him as my cat uh, because he gives me so much love, and and he, and he's he's just amazing. So again, if you have room in your in your house for a, a shelter dog or cat, do it because. Uh, it, it, they give back so much love and I got him when he was 14 and uh, I didn't know he was going to be on this much medicine cherry uh, but actually it's it's totally fine because um, we have a system and I think it brings us closer together uh, him and his cat world and me and my human world and you're handy dandy with needles obviously so he needs a shot you got it I've given a lot of shots <laughs> and so I uh, got to ask you this I mean how you know how can people support you and other healthcare workers who are out here and what, what can we do to help? Thanks. I think a lot of it is calling attention to the fact that we have so many homebound individuals in Philadelphia, so many homebound individuals in Pennsylvania. There is no system right now, aside from someone sending me a text or, you know, uh, uh, reaching out to, um, uh, to a few places. There's no organized system. Because uh, there's no guarantee that even if you sign up somewhere that you're going to get a vaccine. And so I think really calling uh, attention to the fact that we need a centralized system, a coordinated system in, in the city, in the state, so that people that are homebound that need a vaccine know where to go that's accessible. So if you don't speak English, that you're able to uh, communicate your needs. If you don't have Internet access, uh, it needs to be a, a, a system. And I, I think people really need to call attention to that. That would help a lot because uh, it would mean that. Um, there's less people for me to have to go to. When they told me that there might be 10 shots and they say, can you do it? Uh, today, after I've already given shots, um, and it was, it's, you know, I said yes, because there's a huge list that we have to go through. Um, and and uh, it's more than just, you know, a, a few uh, different providers can handle. We need a centralized system. These individuals have been on the list. They've been eligible for months. They were the, among the first individuals to be eligible, but they still have no access to the vaccines. We have to change that. Yeah. And so who do people call? They, you know, I know you already have a long list of people waiting, <laughs> but you know, if somebody has, you know, cause I live out of town for my family and, you know, I had to sign my parents up, you know, in, in another state. And so if people, you know, they hear this and like, oh, you know, maybe you should get, you know, great auntie if she can't leave. Somebody yes. like, you know, Tarek over here, <laughs> you already yes. see you're like bringing the angel. You got the angel cape on. It's like, you know, how can they, who do they call if they need something like this? Thank or is you. that the point? We need someone to call. Yes, yes. And you're right. Uh, nurses and doctors are superheroes. Uh, that is true. Uh, I'm just, it's like on Krypton. Like, you know, everyone has got superpowers on Krypton. Superman is a superhero on Earth. But, you know, on Krypton, everyone is a superhero. Um, there's an email. If people have access to email, it's um, COVID, C-O-V-I-D at F pcn.com that's uh covid at family practice and counseling network so fpcn.com um they can they can uh they can um sign up there 
Uh, and then also, too, I would say just uh, contact your elected officials and demand that we have a system, a coordinated system that everyone can get access to. Because right now we don't have a system. We have an ad hoc, ad hoc approach and our, our citizens deserve better. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tarek Khan, for coming on Flashpoint. And I'm sure when you show up with a nice smile and a needle, it makes it a little bit easier to take the needle in the arm. Thank you. Thank you, sir. It's an honor to be here. Next up, what happens to your brain and your body when you experience trauma? If you ask yourself those three questions, then you can kind of move on to the next phase. I talk about how to cope after viewing violent news footage. Coming up. Hey, Flashpoint family. If you like what you hear, why don't you stick around and take a listen to some of our past episodes or our Flashpoint extras. One example is our exclusive interview with the one and only DJ Jazzy Jeff. He contracted COVID-19. He had some dark moments, but he survived. Take a listen to his journey. Another example is our past newsmaker of the week, Andrew Wyatt. He's spokesman for actor and comedian Bill Cosby. He explains why they're petitioning the governor to hopefully get the cause out of jail early. All of this and more please subscribe to the podcast and rate and review now back to the show this is flashpoint and i'm cherry greg our newsmaker of the week is a word i use a lot on this show unfortunately and that is trauma it is defined here as a person's emotional or psychological response to a stressful event we've had a lot of those lately witnessing deaths of george floyd and others on video with us to discuss what we can all do to address trauma is Sarah Ashley Andrews, a master's level clinician who is the founder of Dare to Hope and is co-host of the Black in Therapy podcast. Sarah Ashley, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So America has suffered repeated traumas in the witnessing of the slow, brutal murder of George Floyd on video, both when it happened and then during the trial. And Black people specifically have been suffering whiplash every time another person of color is seen being killed or shot or beat on video. Could you talk about what viewing these videos does to your brain and just to you emotionally and and psychologically? I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that whiplash effect, right? It's a constant like hamster wheel, like it's it's a forever thing, like a forever cycle. And what happens is that when we replay that, it's like reliving the trauma. So you're you're re-traumatizing yourself every time we watch it, every time we watch parts of the trial, every time the video is played, every time we see somebody else murdered on the streets of Philadelphia, we're re-traumatizing ourselves every single time. So it's like, even if we try to get a little bit better or try to heal a little bit, every time we look back at something like that, we are re-traumatizing ourselves over and over again. So how do you know if you're traumatized? Um, Your body tells you. Your body tells you. And I think that a lot of times we ignore our bodies. You know, that, that feeling in the pit of your stomach, that feeling in your heart, your chest, that even feeling in your mind. And then when you when you had when you're traumatized, you have effects of it. No, everybody calls it PTSD, but you have dreams. You you don't feel safe. You feel jittery or anxious in certain situations. So like that's how you know that you are traumatized. Even when you can't sit through something, like that's your body telling you, hey, I don't like this. All of that is signs. I think a lot of times people don't even realize if they overreact or if something happens, how can that manifest itself just maybe not when it's happening, but later on. And I think we ignore that part of it too. It can be being argumentative. It can be pulling back or withdrawing from certain certain situations or certain conversations or not being able to handle those conversations 
or finding yourself in a space where you don't even know what to do when you're in the moment. And a lot of times we're comfortable with aggression and anger and showing our trauma through that way instead of like communication and talking it out. So we'll snap versus saying, hey, you know what? This is why I'm uncomfortable and this is how this is making me feel. So we'll, you know, immediately go to the to the negative coping skill versus saying, hey, let's process this out and let me tell you why I'm uncomfortable. Young people have been watching these videos. I mean, they're showing on the news, Sarah Ash. A lot of times, sometimes there's warning, sometimes there's not. So how do you recognize it in your kids? And what do you do if you're a parent and you notice there's some, there might be some trauma here? One thing I always say is like, watch our children, like watch the children that are in your care. Um, for example, the other day I was, my nephew came in my, the room to get his, um, Xbox out and I was watching a trial and he stopped. My nephew was nine. He stopped and he watched a little bit of it. And I asked him in that moment, did he know what was going on? What, what is going on? What are you, what are you watching? Who was that? What happened? And we were able to have that conversation in the moment. And I think that when you recognize, or when you watch your children, you can see certain signs and there are moments for conversation. And but it starts with us being able to process our own emotions first before we start talking to our children. Um, but recognizing it again, the same signs and symptoms that we feel they feel. So if they're being withdrawn, if they're crying, if they're overly anxious about life or living or just death, like those are things to look for. Um, conversations about death and what happened to him. You know, even like when we think about living in Philadelphia, like how is life in Philadelphia? I think it's important to have those conversations. Yeah, and you say process. I don't know how I feel right away. So how do you process? It's real simple, real simple. And I think people might overly think about it, but the way I process and the way I teach my clients to process is in the moment, what am I feeling? So even right now, Cherry, what are you feeling, right? And then you can also ask yourself, why do I feel this way? So what am I feeling? And then why do I feel this way? And then the third question you can ask yourself, is there anything I can change around me to make me feel a different way? And if you ask yourself those three questions, then you can kind of move on to the next phase. Like, but those are the three basic questions when you process them. What am I feeling? Why do I feel this way? And there is anything, is there anything else I can change around me to make me feel differently? And that goes to the next question. How do you prevent the trauma? Because that's something you can do. Sometimes we can't prevent the trauma though, right? But how can we prevent from being re-traumatized by the same thing? Like, especially like if we're talking about George Floyd and cut the TV off. Like we don't have to know everything every second. I remember before 9-11 when there was no like 24 hour news situation. And like, we're so accustomed to that now, but it's like, you don't have to be in the know all the time about everything. Like relax, you know? So, so kind of like limit what you take in from the media. Um, Limit your conversations too. We don't always have to talk about George Floyd. We don't always have to talk about the violence in Philly or what's going on. Like sometimes we can talk about other things. There are good things that are happening in our world, in our country, in our city. And I think if we kind of shift those conversations, because just because we're black doesn't mean we always have to talk about trauma and black trauma. Like, come on, there are other things. So I think limit what we take in, limit our conversations about it and also seek the good. I think that's important too. Like seek out good news, seek out peace, seek out things that you like to do. Yeah, because there's a lot of great things happening right now uh, throughout the city. And one of the great things happening is your podcast. You all are in the second season already, right. Black in Therapy. Tell me about it. So Black in Therapy was born, I always wanted to do a podcast, but it was born out of me going to grad school and seeing the need for a Black podcast that focuses on like Black mental health and Black mental wellness more so, like not even just mental health, but like we can live mentally well. 
So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the people that are living mentally well. Let's let's hear their journeys. Let's hear how they got to where they are in life so that we can encourage people and promote and normalize mental wellness in the Black community. Yeah, because it takes effort. I mean, because people, because Sarah Ashley, people will work on their bodies, you know what I'm saying, and be working out the gym. You know, they will try their best to eat healthy foods, but then they act like their mind isn't a whole Disposable, right? disposable. If you're sick, you're going to go to the doctor. Hopefully if you don't feel good, if you're running a fever, but it's the same way with our minds and our brains. And it's like, why don't we take that same care so that we can live our best lives? Like if you're not healthy, you're not living your best life. You're not living up to your greatest potential. So let's get healthy, like as a whole. Yeah. And so you've had some cool people on your podcast and what are some of the things you talk about as far as like getting yourself to that place of mental wellness? So one of the main things, one of our main segments is I got a story to tell. And so within that segment, we allow allow our guests to tell their stories. And within their stories, there are points where we're like, yo, so how did that make you feel? What did you do when you did that? And I think, and to your point, like those are the game changer pieces that we talk about, like like the things that change their life. Like these are the moments that define them and change their life. And so when we, we think about those highlights, that kind of encourages the next person that listens, like, oh, well, if they, if they got through that, I can get through that. Or if they made it, I can make it. So that's one of our, our, our biggest segments is that I got a story to tell. I got a story to tell. Woo! Right. And so you got some cool people. One of the, the folks who's coming up on your next, because you drop it on Mondays. You drop it on Monday so, mornings. Yes. And so when you got a, a cool guest coming up, tell us who it is. So we were able to interview um, Police Commissioner Danielle Outlaw today. And it was a really dope interview. And I guess because we're therapists, you know, people talk more to therapists, I guess. So um, she was able to share some cool parts of her life that I don't think anybody else, um, I don't think she ever told this part of her story to anybody else. So I'm looking forward to that helping somebody else um, once we drop it. So yeah, it was a really good interview. When you think about all the folks you've interviewed and talked to, what is something that stands out to you? Or is there a common theme through people's lives who've been able to achieve mental wellness? That they spoke up that they spoke up. One thing today Commissioner Outlaw said in their interview was that she was like, we always, we, we always can speak when we have to advocate for like, you know, rah-rah stuff or negative stuff, but it's hard to speak up when we have to advocate for ourselves and say we need help. And I know for me, like, that's the thing for me. I don't speak up when I need help, but she was able to share that. And so like, when I say people tell their stories, like that helped me today when she shared that, because I do have to speak up when I need help. And when I'm like, this is too much. Pieces like that um, are really what stands out to me. Definitely. Well, people should check out Black in Therapy. Where can they find it? They can find it on all platforms. Uh, we're on all platforms. What, Apple, uh, Google, all the, all, the, all the platforms. I only want to sit here and name them all because... And you, you can find it on the Odyssey app, which is... Yes. You know, by, yes, I found <laughs> it on the Odyssey app. And I got to say that Sarah Ashley has been in the game working um, with young people uh, helping them find mental wellness, um, working to prevent suicide for years. She was a KYW News Radio game changer a few years ago and was on, been on your grind. Like you've made a lot of stuff happen, Sarah Ashley. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and that goes to like, when God gives you a vision, just run with it. Don't worry about what you don't have, what you do have. I think the devotion I was reading yesterday was like, do what you can do with what you have. 
And I think that's that's like the testament of my life. Like I did what I could do with what I had. And here we are. So check her out. Black in Therapy drops every Monday. You can find it on all podcast platforms. Sarah, Ashley, Andrews, thank you so much for being on Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. Next up, they're using Ramadan to help stop Islamophobia. Every good act that you do during the month of Ramadan is multiplied by hundreds. A local civil rights group and its Holy Month Challenge. We'll be back. Patriot Home Care is here to help when their clients need them most. If you're a caregiver and feel uncertain about where you're working now, call Patriot today. Patriot Home Care is now paying up to $600 in hazard pay to its current and newly hired direct care workers, recognizing their hard work and caring for our consumers during these uncertain times. Hazard pay will be up to $600 per direct care worker. Visit PatriotHomeCare.org. That's PatriotHomeCare.org. Or call 1-877-535-5550. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to subscribe to the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Odyssey app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you have to do is search Flashpoint. Now, we here at KYW, we are all about community, and it's the holy month of Ramadan, and Muslims around the world are fasting, reflecting, and giving. And a Philadelphia area nonprofit battling Islamophobia is stepping up and reaching out. Here to discuss their efforts is our Patriot Home Care Changemaker, Care Philadelphia Executive Committee President, Mohammed Zubeiru. Welcome to Flashpoint, Mohammed. Thank you, Sherry, for having me so much. I feel like I should be here with the executive committee, but um, you know, we're obviously a team. And so, but I'm 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 happy to be on the show. Wonderful. So CARE does a lot of great work. Please explain your mission. CARE Philadelphia is the local branch of CARE, and we are a civil rights organization that was established primarily to combat Islamophobia and a lot of the negative stereotypes uh, that that are out there in the media against uh, Muslims, but then also to do a lot of uh, education. We do a lot of work in the interfaith space as well. We're here to promote a positive view of the religion and, and Muslims in general. Yeah. What does CARE stand for? CARE stands for Council on American Islamic relations. Wonderful. How has the pandemic impacted your efforts? As a civil rights organization, as you know, civil rights organizations are boots on the ground, meeting people, um, uh, uh, interacting. And so when you have a pandemic like the one that, that we're going through right now, getting out to meet people is, is very challenging. Um, one of the things that uh, that the staff has stepped up and done beautifully during the course of the last year is to take a lot of that online. For well over a year now, we've been working virtually. Uh, the staff has been working from their homes and... And we've created a lot of um, online content uh, in the form of webinars and and workshops. So it's been an adjustment, especially in the fundraising realm, two or three days prior to our annual fundraising, which is where we get most of our annual revenue from. uh, We had to cancel it last year and this year. So we've been impacted, you know, by having to change the way that we work, but then also, you know, the fundraising challenges that have come along with, with the pandemic. Yeah. And so you all are using the holy month of Ramadan to issue a challenge. What is it 
Yes. So the Muslim month of Ramadan, for those that don't know, is our month of fasting, and it is our holiest month. It's the month that we were taught that the the Quran was sent down to earth by God. And, you know, one of the five pillars of Islam is actually charity, zakat. So we took it upon ourselves uh, and the executive committee to issue uh, a challenge to match people that donate uh, to the organization in the month. We also believe that every good act that you do during the month of Ramadan is multiplied by hundreds. And so, you know, what better time to reach into your pocket and give and have that, uh, that giving multiplied not only by God, but also by the, uh, by the matching donations that are featured in the challenge. Let's dig in. I mean, you're raising money for a good cause. Have you seen the work that you do, the need for the work that you do increase over the past year or so? So I think it's important for us to to state that, you know, as a civil rights organization, not only do we stand against Muslim hate, you know, we stand against all hate and things like the Asian hate campaign. That's something that we stand against, you know, the unjust practices of certain police against certain groups. So the answer to your question is, you know, during the pandemic, yes, we have seen an increase of events that we stand against and wish to protect people against. Yeah. And so how can people help? I mean, because I've known and had, you know, interactions with CARE over the years because we we dealt with a big bout of Islamophobia a few years ago. Um, but then we saw over the past several years, uptick in hate crimes. We saw what was happening in the Asian American community. We've seen across the country um, police killings of unarmed black and brown people. And so, um, you know, people are working to end this hate and, and you guys are on the ground doing that. And so how can people support that effort? So if you go to pa.care, that's C-A-I-R.com, there are many avenues to give on, on that page. We also take checks if you'd like to you know, send it to our address as well. Um, and our address is also on the uh, website. For Muslims, it is what we call zakat eligible. Zakat is the obligation that Muslims have to give a certain percentage of, of their wealth on an annual basis. Um, I guess it's sort of like similar to tithing, although ours is giving 2% of your net worth on an annual basis. And it is also tax deductible as well. So you can hit a lot of uh, birds with that one gift. Wonderful. Uh, Any final thoughts as we wrap up? Yes. um, Very important. We have a youth podcast that's coming up. It's called Faith Adelphia, spearheaded by the youth uh, amongst our team. And we also have a joint uh, podcast, Caring and Engaging, that we do with uh, Engage and uh, Care Philadelphia. So if you would uh, stay tuned for those and and please tune in. The work that we do is, is really important. There is a need today and and going forward for civil rights organizations like us. And, you know, whether you can give financially or give of your time um, or or even just support the causes. Uh, we have a uh, in Islam, there's a teaching that says that it's actually a quote from the Quran, and I'm I'm going to paraphrase it. It says, you know, if if you see a wrong, um, fix it with your hand. If you can't fix it with your hand, speak up against it. If you can't speak up against it, then just, you know, wish against it in your heart. That is the weakest of faith. I would leave you with those last words. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much to Muhammad Zubairu. I appreciate you and all the work that CARE does. Uh, please be sure to donate. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Sherry. We appreciate it. 
That's it for Flashpoint. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. And since we always wrap it up with a quote, here's one from Mark Twain. Kindness is language the deaf can hear and the blind can see. The show was produced by Ariane Fulcher and me, your host, Cherry Gregg. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Until next week, thanks for listening.